Welcome back to another episode, episode 11 of Through Our Lens. My name is Kimberly Naba Eggett. I'm a digital lead teacher in Asheville, North Carolina, and doctoral candidate at App State University. And with me, we have Rebecca Burry. And yes, I'm Rebecca Burry. I'm a digital teaching and learning coach at Iredell Statesville Schools and fellow doctoral candidate, which sounds so fancy now that we can say that. Um, we've been fancying this for a few weeks now, um, but we have another one of our committee members um, that I'm super excited about because she has the love of STEM and the love of women and girls in STEM and the science and math field. Um, we have Dr. Tracy McLemore Salinas with us. So we welcome you to our podcast, our meeting of the minds. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about it. Yeah, and she um, concludes our committee members because we have a total of four. Um, so we just, you know, Kimberly and I set this up like we told you that we just are open and honest with what's it like to be um, a doc student, what's the process like, and we've been highlighting each of our committee members because it's important the people you surround yourself with, one, for support mm -hmm. and growth, and two, um, for that specialty area that you bring to the table um, for our dissertation in particular. So I'm going to let you, enter, you know, introduce yourself and kind of give us your background, and then we'll get into, you know, why you decided to jump on our on board with us. But first, we'll just let you introduce yourself and your background. Okay, that sounds great. Um, I actually would never have guessed that I would end up being a professor. That was something that I just never knew existed growing up. I grew up on a, a cattle farm in South Mississippi, and it actually turned that a lot of the things we did at the farm would now be categorized as kind of STEM problem solving and STEM knowledge. I had no idea that it wasn't really aligned with what I taught in all of classes in school. But eventually I would have one teacher suggest, oh, you should, you should because you're great in math or you because you're doing well in this class and one thing led to another. I ended up getting a bachelor's degree in mathematics and in social science at William Carey University in Hattiesburg, Mississippi and then moved on to the University of Tennessee in Knoxville for a master's degree and a doctoral degree. Um, even with that degree in hand though I had no idea exactly what I was going to do. I was learning as I went along as a first generation female student in college grad school. Now I'm at Appalachian State. I've been here since 2004 in the mathematics department as a math educator. I focus on rural STEM education, policies and practices and culture, how all of those come together. And most currently I am director of the Math and Science Education Center at Appalachian State. Yeah, and I'll I love that piece of your background that you grew up on a farm um, because I grew up on a in a very rural um, part and when you said that what made me think of you know and it was a small farm it was like just personal animals that we had but what made me think of that is yes there's so many STEM opportunities growing up you know in the country on the farm so it makes sense to me like those pieces connect. Definitely. Definitely. In fact, you know, my grandfather and grandmother on my father's side didn't go past third grade in school. 
and because they had to start working immediately. You know, they they were helping out with lots of things with the family. And even uh, my own father, our family, we were essentially like sharecroppers on the farm. We didn't own it. We worked it for other people. The thousand acres that we worked, we were generally handling anywhere from 500 to 1500 cattle at a time. Hey, we had our own garden that we would raise crops on to sell to grocery stores. That was how we our money. And then there were an additional about 4,000 other acres that we helped to manage just from the variety of things. So you can into all of those different areas. And eventually when I was in high school, I realized that my grandfather was able to solve problems that I recognized from my pre-calculus textbook. And he would never have been acknowledged as having any kind of pre-calculus knowledge. He barely read but he was solving problems that we were learning about in pre-calculus. And that's what sparked my interest in rural mathematics. That's really amazing. That's a, I think that's a really important narrative to share mm -hmm. because especially the bit where I heard you say that you never envisioned yourself to be a professor and look at where you are now. And I think that we have this, mental image that professors must have it all together and they like I don't know where all these professors show up from but they all just know what they're doing they all have their nice fancy tam hats right Rebecca yeah I'm excited and <laughs> they know like what their path is like and there's some, there's something to be said about like the mysteriousness of the doctoral title or when you say PhD you know and so I think it's really important to hear the narrative that it comes from humble beginnings. It comes from these other stories that we never hear about. And so I think that's really valuable and I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, and it, it also stems from a passion, like um, being able to see that, you know, your grandfather could solve these problems. But, you know, if someone asked, you know, a room full of people, um, what's your educational background? And they had to go through it. You know, they may have a perception of, well, if you only went to third grade, then probably doesn't know a whole lot. However, the experiences of life, you know, are, should be weighted just like, you know, our educational part of our life. Um, it should be a better balance of that. And, you know, from what I hear from what you're saying is, being able to see that, then it propelled you to understand like, this is the work I want to do. And that part, that part's what I love that we're uncovering is each person's passion of why they chose the work that they did and, and the work that they're doing in that field to make that difference. Because I think with Kimberly and I, as we talk and we meet, you know, we know the changes that we'd like to make and change is hard because you know, you just wish that you would present this, you know, piece of work or body of work or study and these things would like, poof, just change overnight. Like, we did it. Um, you know, or you get the cool Tam hat and everybody's like, look at that cool hat. Like, she's got stuff to say. Like, we're changing lives. Because um, that's totally going to happen. But, um, but change takes time. But it also takes that deep-seated passion. Because if, it's, if you don't love the work that you're doing, it's hard to do the work. Um, especially when the work gets to be difficult. But um, I have to tell you, I love talking with you. I think it's now, I don't know, it might've been a year ago when, you know, we were told you should start looking for people um, for your committee. 
I think it's been a year. That's kind of weird. Um, that's kind of odd. But, um, you know, and Kimberly and I having a co-dissertation made it a little different because traditionally you'd have three people and, you know, you'd have um, a methodology, you'd have a chair and you'd have someone in your area of study. And with Kimberly and I, we knew that, you know, and because it's called Through Our Lens, I have a more feminist lens. She has a more um, critical race lens, but we both have that interconnected piece of STEM and with technology and things. And, you know, talking with Dr. Miller, he goes, you should talk to Tracy. Like you should talk to Tracy. So I remember meeting with Kimberly vividly and I was going, okay, I'm going to meet with her. Like I've, you know, of course you do the research because that's why we're doc students. We research everything. Um, we will not call it social stalking because it's not, it's research. So you look up like, what are the things she's published? What are her interests? And, you know, I told Kimberly, I said, meeting committee members is like, here's your interest. Here's my interest. Do our interests make sense? Does it work together? And I think the thing that I walked away um, I mean, I walked away like loving the work that you do, um, but I love that you said that when you moved to Boone, you were like, it's cold here because you had your, you had your dog in your lap. You're like, it's cold. And I thought I would be here for like a year. And here I am. I think it was like, you're 16. You're like, here I am. I love it at this college, but I just kind of laughed because, you know, I think of Boone of when I choose to visit Boone, like in the fall when the leaves change and then I'll go visit in the spring when things are growing and I might go skiing once or twice but you know being in Boone is totally different but that's the part I loved about you you were like yeah my dog's here because I'm cold but um I just like I was like she's gonna fit so well I hope that you know and part of being on a committee is like I hope she picks us but um <laughs> Well, there is something to it almost like, um, well, it's kind of like a dating app or something in a way, because you're trying to match with the right person and you want a chair person on your committee who will be willing to be honest about what they know about your work habits, about your approaches, and then helping recommend people they think will work well with that. Also who will work well with them because the last thing you want is to have committee members who don't get along. And that happens. That actually happens. Um, thinking, thinking about a couple of the comments you were making, I, I sure didn't expect to be in Boone for this long when, when I first came. Um, part of that is because I totally expected to return to Mississippi and do the work that I do for kids like me in South Mississippi. And that just hasn't been what ended up happening, but I have fallen in love with working in rural Appalachia. So that, that to me gives me a lot of fulfillment and makes it worth those little days when everybody knows not to talk to me until I'm inside the building and thawed out and all the cold weather that no, it does not do well for me. Um, but, you know, there's another piece to um, agreeing to be a part of a committee structure and a like this. When I got to my doctoral program at Tennessee, I knew so little as a first generation college completer and grad school completer. Um, I knew so little about it. I didn't know what could be done and what couldn't be done. So I was always asking questions. I mixed my 
content in my course with rural sociology on the agriculture campus at the University of Tennessee with content department of mathematics with three courses with you know just a mix of things that to me made sense because of the things I was bringing to that but if you had asked anyone in the grad school that wouldn't have looked like you know a program of study that made sense for them so I totally liked the approach taking and the way that your chair has been able to frame all of that and pull together a committee that works to get those things absolutely to being able to have a successful doctoral committee and dissertation. Yeah, I, I feel like Rebecca and I both have been so pleasantly, I guess surprised because we didn't know what to expect um, with how well each member of our committee and how our chair has been just a crucial part of us feeling like we are successful right now. Um, and, and although I am first gen, like, I don't know how, how else to get support, how else you would get support if you didn't know the process at all. Like, I, I don't know. I think like it is a first timers, like when you're doing your doctorate, it's it just all feels brand new, but, and maybe it's different for folks that have family members who've gone through a doctorate program. I don't know what that's like, but it does feel like, um, like I was describing that, I didn't realize how the, the process of the prospectus was gonna help, like going through that process was gonna help me feel more confident in what I was actually doing. Because to me, I thought it was just another hoop I was trying to get to, to get to the dissertation fit. And not to think that this was gonna be the actual bones of the things that we're working on. Um, and it wasn't until I went through that process with amazing committee members that supported us along the way that I realized in hindsight, oh, that's what that was. And so I think, you know, being so new into everything feels so new, you know, like right now we're in the thick of collecting data and I have no idea yet what, you know, January holds for me because right now I'm like in this part of it. And so I'm grateful that there are committee members that can help us to that know a little bit about what that looks like down the road. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of where where I am at right now, and how I'm very appreciative of our committee members. Well, and and I would comment that everybody's dissertation journey is so unique to that person that even if you come in a long line of people who have gone through graduate school and maybe even been in academia, your situation have its own unique qualities, whether that's because of your content or your committee members or the institution where you attend. No way to know much about the process that there won't be some surprises because there will probably be some surprises. And one of the important things to avoid those is to listen to your committee members. I have a, um, a sh short story, hopefully, that really quick something that happened at C because as somebody who had no experience with graduate school, didn't know what to expect, um, I decided for me to go watch a dissertation defense so that I could understand what to expect in there. I had no idea what a defense meant. So I actually was one where the person had the chair that I got to the defense and the chair introduced the student. The student did her presentation portion 
And then the very awkward moment before the chair passed over the reins to another committee member, it became very clear very quickly that the state had never followed up with that one committee member about edits that they were supposed to have made. So the committee member began going edits individually, one by one, page by page. The student was absolute tears within a few minutes. And the point was made pretty quickly that this was work you should have done. This was communication you should have had. This all could have been if you had paid attention to this along the way. So sometimes those surprises can be making if you're not communicative, responsive, your chair's work only goes so far in helping you, but at a point, that's your responsibility and, and you do play a major role in working with your committee. Oh man, I like I've I've watched a few because the wonderful power of Zoom. Um, but it's one of those things where it's probably cringeworthy for you watching like, oh no. But it, it is one of those lessons where I think, you know, coming along, like you have to understand that your committee is there to support you and, you know, give their expertise. And yes, there's gonna be edits. And I'll tell you, when we were doing the prospectus, I was so appreciative of the edits that were given to us. Because one, we were talking about technology things and Juanez was like, hold up. I don't even know what you are saying. Like, please define this. And Kimberly and I live in the tech world so much. We didn't even think about it. We're like, oh, wait. And then I loved where you were like, I need y'all to read just a few more in this area of STEM. And we were like, oh my gosh, like, and it helps you grow. And I think, you know, and I think for us, and now I'm speaking for Kimberly and I, I know I shouldn't do that, but you know, we've, We've been on, I don't even know how many year journey together, but, you know, early on, we realized that critique is not because it's, we're looking down upon you. It's we're working with you. So I think being open and vulnerable to that and realizing that, but yeah, the day of your dissertation defense is not where you're like, oh, sorry, forgot that email. Oopsies. Um, because it, you know, it's. It's one of those things, but however, I can totally see where some students might be like, oh, I'm good, I'm fine. Like, I'm here, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do the thing. And then I'm gonna, you know, as I say, get the cool hat and the, the thing. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you have to make sure that yes, you're checking off the boxes, but you're doing them well, like you are. Um, and you've got your committee behind you because the committee is there to support you. and you know, propel you forward, but they're also there to be accountability. Like, did you come through this process? So, oh my gosh, couldn't imagine. So I'm guessing that was a no for that day. Maybe it was a redo. It, it was a no for, there was a lot of work that went into that. I, I'm glad to say that I didn't have the same experience because I learned that day pretty quickly that I needed communicate with everybody. I will say, though, that one of the things that happened for me is that my chair um, 
kind of abruptly was uh, decided to go into retirement. And so what I thought was going to be a threesome process for and that is a place where you have to remind yourself that your dissertation is to be the pinnacle of your work in academia. It, it is, that is not what it's intended to be. It is meant to be a demonstration ability to be in the community of academia. It's, you know, it's meant to represent who you are at that point. And you're right, you're going to keep growing, you're going to keep developing. Just because you get that dissertation defended, you get the fancy hat and you get the three stripes on your on your hood or your um, gown and you get the, you know, the hooding and all of that doesn't mean you know everything. All of us who go into academia, who complete these doctoral programs, we tend because there's all an answer. There's more to know. There's always more knowledge to develop. And I, I think that that is a valuable process during this. This is just your entry point into academia. I think, you know, we're talking about these fancy hats and this process and this idea of critique. I teach a history of mathematics course for the math department here. And one of the things we've been talking about recently is little has changed since the beginning of universities over a thousand years ago. There are so many components that are exactly the same, whole sort of a movement from a novice up through the ranks of being an expert as we go from, you know, graduate student, doctoral assistant professor, associate professor, and so on. Um, even the regalia that we wear and the flags, the banners we carry during graduate ceremonies, all of those things are definitely long-standing traditions in academia. But the notion of critique and the idea of curiosity, those are all just as old. So we go into these fields because we want to critique knowledge. We want to critique what's known. We also have to that we are opening ourselves and our thinking and our ideas up to critique constantly when we are in these fields. Thank you for sharing that. I, uh, I have a feeling that that story you tell is going to end up being a stress dream, maybe in March um, <laughs> when we're up for defense. But uh, it, it is interesting to think about how old the institution of academia is and who gets to be an academian, who doesn't, and how much more there is to go. Um, so I'm, I am grateful that we get to be in this space that we get to have that conversation and I am I always appreciate hearing this is not the pinnacle of my work because it does it is a, a little overwhelming if that if that was the case you know um so yeah I do appreciate being reminded that by committee members for sure yeah that's my sigh of relief for the evening because I'll tell you when you're in the thick of things and you're gathering data and you're like, I'm doing the thing, I'm doing the thing, I'm doing the thing, it's gotta be great, it's gotta be great. And then you sit down, because this has been my week this week, you sit down to write about it. You're like, I have ran out of words. How have I ran out of words? There has to be words, there has to come out words, they have to come out. And then, you know, I think sometimes I take it like the things that I'm writing, like you said, this is the, 
this is the big moment where everyone's going to pay attention. And I just have to remind myself, this is me showcasing or Kimberly and I showcasing like the coursework and the internship and the, the work we've done so far is just putting all of that together in, and I like to now call it my project because project sounds so less daunting than like when I say dissertation, sometimes people are like, oh, whoa. But if I say, I'm just working on a research project. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe just even saying the word dissertation, they're like, ah, and everybody else is freaking out. So I think I just might use research project. Um, but Kimberly, our nightmares can't be as worse as what I thought that the defense was. And Tracy, I don't know if you know this, but I thought the defense was um, kind of like a courtroom situation where App State would invite a bunch of professors, you know, um, in academia, like maybe in, I don't even know what department, maybe all of them, I don't know. And our committee was like, it's kind of like going into battle. Like you guys were like the people we would go to like timeouts and you would build us up and we'd like go in and we'd like have to defend like why we did certain things. And then we'd come back and you guys would like cheer us on. Like, I thought like I was going kind of in the gauntlet kind of thing. And then when I found out, I was like, oh, that's not as bad as I thought. Now, who knows where I got that from? Who knows? But <laughs> well, that idea is not that far from the truth of what used to happen. So maybe, maybe, yeah. that's I got maybe I have heard something <laughs> sort of that like. Maybe you have. Maybe you have. In this same history class, we just talked about how mathematicians usually duel with each other mathematically. They would challenge one another in front of loud crowds of people. And sometimes their students would be the ones who would be hurling bolts and there would be other professionals in the area. And, and even more recently, um, only units have moved away from some of the oral exams that were much more confrontational. I have definitely heard of master's um, examinations, the oral exam at the end, and what you had as a, a QEP part of your process. Others typically would have as an oral examination in front of a group, and there are lots of programs where if you weren't crying by the end of that uh, oral exam, not over yet. So I, I don't want to give you a, like resurrect this notion that you have, but at the same time, that is far from what some people experienced decades prior. Isn't that horrible? Wow. Like, yeah, I'd saying, like to go ahead and thank Appalachian State <laughs> University, your doctoral program for not doing that. Yes, I have to say, I feel like App's favorite word is sustainable. And that program would not be very sustainable in my life. Um, I, like, I, I think I would get to the point of exhaustion and cry, and then I would just be defeat. Um, but I have to say, like, it being like that is like, is that really how you want someone to prove themselves versus, you know, still doing the work? But whew, yeah, sigh of relief. Yeah, this is our this is our spotlight on Appalachian State for being amazing and not having us do that. So maybe I'm reliving the nightmare of someone else that may listen to our podcast, and maybe that is their thing. Um, if so, we cheer you on. Um, <laughs> um, 
I'm glad we don't have to do that, especially like a co-dissertation, like Kimberly, would we like duel each other? Like, would it be like a wrap off? Like, you know, my oh, Southern well, accent maybe. and- So maybe we do need to consider that. Maybe we need to tell Dr. O'Shea that our uh, defense will be a rap battle. Yes. Well, he always says, um, <laughs> does he always say song and dance? He always says something like that. Interpretive dance. <laughs> Interpretive dance is the running joke. Yeah, so we're wrapping it off. Like, it would be so bad on my part because, again, <laughs> the Southern accent and rapping, like, it's bad. But uh, oh yeah, it would be better on my end. I have a high appreciation for rap and rap battles, not much of a deliverer yeah. of things. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that defense done, that you think of it as this great moment. I have to tell you that it's very anticlimactical. There's no balloon. No, there's no great battle of any sort. There's no, you know, typically anyway. Um, it, it, it's just a conversation. And, and then usually you wait out in the hall and then somebody comes out and says, congratulations, you passed. Now sign all these forms. Be sure you paid off your tuition and, you know, has a, a long list kind of check off things for you to um, complete. And you sort of walk away and go have a nice meal or wine or whatever you um, my conversation, I think, would be incomplete if I didn't point out that when I got to university, I met my husband, who was all farther along in his program than I was, and I was able to watch his experience in the doctor program and learn from it. So maybe one of the suggestions here is to find a friend who's farther along in the program and lurk as much as you can <laughs> to what happens along the way. That's how I learned how some people deal with going uh, ABD, all but rotation, uh, or how some people deal with changes in their committee structure, or even fights breaking out between some of their committee members. So, you know, you want a dissertation committee, but it's also a good idea to have somebody else to observe, somebody who's willing to let you the honest and one other thing that I think is important to mention is maybe having another faculty member who can be a mentor during the process somebody you does to give you feedback on the quality of your dissertation but can just listen to you think out loud there's a um, interesting research that people who are in doctoral programs don't always have the people around them they can go to and talk to about the challenge program or their feeling or you know any of those emotions that they're feeling as they go through you you really want to find somebody who has experienced those kinds of emotions and that level of stress so i i should definitely say that some of the the best you can get is in addition to your dissertation committee it's interesting because we, Rebecca and I discuss often how isolating this work would feel if we didn't have each other. Not to say that's not a really great idea to also find other, um, other folks, especially those that are, you know, seasoned or have experienced this before, but it is isolating work. And I know like today I'm, we text often and that's, what's wonderful about how we've been able to set 
how we communicate with each other. You know, we've so we've never seen each other face to face anyways. And so all which is that's where we think it will be a bit of a uh it'll be an emotional thing for us to if we are seeing ourselves for the first time face to face at our defense that we're trying to schedule a time before then so we can kind of ease into seeing each other face to face but I think because we have such a normed experience of how we communicate just virtually and for so many things I know I just texted today like I'm feeling a little unsure if this is if I'm doing the right thing and I just need to check in and maybe you're feeling the same way too and sure enough like almost nine times out of ten we're feeling the same way and because we have each other then we know is this where we like need to reach out to Patrick is this where we need to reach out to um I know you Rebecca was were reaching out to the library to find some more resources um so yeah I think that thinking that you could do it independently is possible but it's not necessarily the most beneficial I think yeah and I think part of the the passion work we're doing like our, in our study and our writing you know we know that's the change that we want to bring forward but there's this also thread of us working together that we really want really to showcase because right now, whether we like it or not, the graduate and doctorate school are watching us like, how is this gonna work? How does how does this part work? And you know, some of it is mechanical, like what does a co-dissertation look like? What are you responsible for? What are you responsible for? Are you doing the same amount of work? Some of it's that kind of thing, but I also think that we're in this really cool spot of making a difference of like you know even the support you have because like Kimberly said we will meet and we'll be like all right I was thinking this are you thinking this or am I thinking this or are we thinking this or and, and we're really good to have each other like on a timeline because during QE work I think we both that was the first time we both felt it like you could just go adrift like easily like you know, you can, like, I was really loving reading about some feminism. Um, Tracy, I don't know if you know, but when we were, we, it was called flirting with theories, I think in Dr. Jackson's class, you know, just flirt with different theories, see what comes up, see what comes out. And I had this big moment in the program. Again, it was my big moment where I was like, hey guys, I align with feminist theory. And then they were like, okay, moving on. Because they were like, we've already seen that. And I'm like, no way. I align with feminist theory. Like, this is a big thing because I grew up in this, you know, in a Southern, you know, Christian Bible belt that's, you know, I didn't really know what feminism was. I had a misconception of it. So me coming to realize what it is, what, it, you know, and I had this big moment where it was just my big moment, but it was all right. Um, but in my QEs, reading about the history of feminism and the history of STEM and how it was brought forth. I mean, I could have gotten lost for months in that, but we had a group where on Sundays we would text each other, like, have you written this? Have you written that? Have you written this? So that accountability part kind of propelled you onward. And, you know, so that's the kind of thing where, you know, I know the work we're doing, the bulk of our study and the things that we're defending, that's, you know, that's our 
big part, but I think this really cool piece of us working together and that collaboration, um, it makes a difference um, because we're not having to wait, you know, we're not thinking all these things and just going, well, it's just me and, you know, I can talk to a committee member and I'll try to do my best and then, you know, send it to the whole committee. We're having these little bits of conversations and most of them were we're recording our thinking as we go, but we're meeting, you know, in the in between times. And it's like this really cool kind of project all in itself. I think there's a, a good point in what you're saying there that has to do with what you learn about yourself, like how you reckon with your identity through the process, because there's both um, this idea of sort of navigating, negotiating, who you are as you start a doctoral program, because you're having to begin to recognize yourself as a doctor, a doctor once you're there, or whatever it might be when you apply that um, degree. And for some of us, depending on what our backgrounds are, those notes are just as unfamiliar as if I had decided to become a tree. I mean, I wouldn't, I, they don't fit into how I'm envisioning myself doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem like something that would ever have been a part of my, my background. Um, and I have to admit, though, that even being in academia, that becomes something I reckon with on a daily basis, pretty much, because there is still that tug between the identity of being in academia, the things that I do and the things that I'm packed but then the things that are so in, intertwined in who I am because of how I grew up. I mean, it is, it is definitely difficult in the month of March to spend any time working when it's so ingrained in me that you have to get your crops planted or your family won't winter. That is still something that But I think your point about working together is also very important because just like any kind of strong, connected sort of a work relationship where you're collaborating this deeply and being this, you know, this connected to one another about your identities, about your thinking, about your beliefs, about your values. There's something to be said for the fact just in a marriage or relationship, you don't know how much you can give to your person or what relationship that a person can be and until you kind of wrestle with who you are, what your strengths are, what your lenses are. I appreciate your recognizing you're a feminist and commenting on that because I, I also grew up in a very conservative area with very typical kind of gender roles and to, to a degree, I would say. My grandma did carry a pistol around in her uh, nightgown most of the time, but um, very traditional kinds of gender roles. And I remember very distinctly one day reading theory and, and working on things and realizing, wow, I'm completely aligned with social justice theory as I'm reading it in this class and class. And that was something I had never thought about before. So each time you run into that, you are, again, kind of reevaluating your identity, fitting those new pieces in. And then sort of working that means about how you're going to interact with, with your work moving forward.
you you can put a name to the kinds of things you value and the things you do and your passions but then what does that what does that mean for how you enact that role moving forward yeah i think about how the last 4 years of getting to do doctorate work has even shifted my own just my own um I don't know how I would say this but maybe how I what I bring to my school in a leadership position um I feel more confident in how I am trying to express or name something um you know when I'm in a meeting and I hear about a student being talked about in a certain way uh which feels very deficit centered I feel like I can confident like I'm able to catch and be like wait let's think about how we're talking about this kid because I saw this kid in a totally different way when we were doing a green screen video, totally different way. And we're losing sight of the strengths of this kiddo because it's so easy to focus on the deficits that, you know, we're so, it's so ingrained in us, especially in K-12 when we're looking at achievement gaps or we're looking at these high stakes tests that, um, but in the past, I don't know if I would have put, been able to put my finger on it. I would have been like, mm, this feels weird, but I don't know why, you know? And so now I feel like I have language and vocabulary and I'm more centered in myself of how I bring what I've learned to the table um, in my leadership role. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to really like process, which I feel like that's what the last four years have been and really refine my passion, but to be able to bring it into whatever spaces that I'm in. Yeah, and I'll kind of echo on that because, you know, Kimberly and I, we talked, I think it was last weekend, and um, we were kind of talking about different things we were working on, and I, we had talked about there are things that would make us feel like, ooh, that just doesn't feel right. Why doesn't it not feel right? And then now being able to, like, verbalize, this is why that doesn't feel right, and this is a change that we can make going forward, and, you know, in the in the thick of coursework you're just like grasping like they we were told for semesters you're you know your brain's gonna be like swiss cheese and i'm like man i'm the best swiss cheese ever like i've got these big old holes that are like whoo major um but as time has gone on it's like they filled in like you know it, you have put the pieces together and the pieces that you need for example when we're going through theory work there were some theories that were introduced and i'm like ooh, not me definitely not me like that needs to be over there like that's somebody else's thing um but you know being able to take what you've learned and put it into practice and you know one thing about you know an edd because i get asked all the time what's the difference to phd edd and I'm like, they're both hard work. Um, but part of, you know, with education is like, we're learning about it and doing it like together, like learning and doing and learning and doing and learning and doing instead of just learning about all of it and then going out in the field. So it's just like, you know, we're just doing all the things. You know, like we're just multitasking it all together. Um, but like Kimberly said, like it's creating and it's, you know, a leadership degree, but it's creating that, that space of being able to you know, name what's going on and also offering the change that could take place, or maybe it's not a change. Maybe it's something that's going on that needs to stay the same and you can 
then, you know, using the word defend, but you can defend that in your work, um, uh, you know, of the studies that you've gone through. Um, but yeah, and I'm so glad that the Swiss cheese holes filled in somewhat. I mean, there's still like a few, like, you know, I think there always needs to be a few, like you were talking about, um, Tracy, how you're always continually learning. So I have like, definitely, thank you, app doctorate program. I definitely have some holes that will continue to fill in as we go. I also recently had a colleague really want to talk about like, what's critical race theory all about? Like, why? Why is that in the news? And I was like, I can explain what's happening. Let me tell you what's happening. I didn't know about this theory up until three years ago, you know? And, and so we had a really good conversation and he was so glad that I was able to just kind of process that with him because that's one that has been in the news and been used as a, um, I would say a tactic of distraction rather than an actual conversation about what it means. And uh, it's been really good to be able to feel confident enough to be like, I know what this is and I can help talk to others about it. Mm -hmm. That confidence that you're mentioning is, is so important. And there are a lot of ways that, that we can develop confidence, but the expect you get not just to the content, but also to the faculty, to your um, dissertation committee members, all of those different pieces should be things that bring you confidence. Now, it might tear you down a little bit first and then rebuild you with confidence, but you know there, there is definitely this um, growth experience that should happen during the doctoral pro process that brings you to a confidence. With that, though, comes this responsibility because as a doctoral candidate, doctoral group, you are emerging as someone with the knowledge to now be an advocate. And I think that's where the leadership piece that you're both mentioning comes out in different ways for different people. But we are teacher leaders. We are school level leaders. We are leaders in the discipline through a variety of ways. And all of us who are in education and in some way see ourselves as advocating for certain students, for all students, for certain theories and, and the ideas of equity or other, other ideas that come from those sorts of theories. So that ability to, to have confidence, to speak up, to find the words, like you were saying, you know how to, how to speak to things now because you have a, a shared thing of what those are. I think those are all incredible benefits of going through this whole process. And those are things that what you end up doing with your doctorate, you take with you into all of those different roles, whether it's staying in a, in a school district and taking on a new role or deciding to go into academia or working in industry related somehow to education, um, whether it's curriculum development or professional or whatever it might be. I, I think those are great points to make about relationships, confidence, and so on that you get from this whole process. Absolutely, and there's still moments where I'm like, I'm doing this, like, like we're here, we're doing it. Um, Kimberly shared, I think it's been two weeks ago, we like, um, we both like to tune into Brene Brown and she had um, a couple ladies that were on there that 
they wrote a paper that was incredible. Like I printed that thing. And I was like, oh yeah. And it was about women not having imposter syndrome anymore. Like to stop doing that. Like stop saying, yeah, like there's so many excuses that you can have, but it's like saying I'm doing this with, and that was an incredible podcast of, you know, understanding and, it kind of made me start thinking, you know, that's what I hope comes from this. Now we get to the end of this. It might just be Kimberly and I listening back going, oh my gosh, can you believe, like we've talked about this before, like episode one, we were like, we've got our life together. And episode two, we're like, hi, thanks for joining us. Our life isn't together. And then episode three, we're like, all right, we got back on track. And maybe episode four was like, and we missed a step, but it's okay. Like, you know, but, um, it could be just for us, but just to think the power of, you know, kind of peeling back that layer of this is our process. This is how we went through it. These are the things we experienced. These are the people we've experienced it with, you know, I hope is moving, you know, going forward, but, um, you know, it, it's just, it's one of those powerful things of just sharing, you know, your experience. And I've enjoyed being able to hear from our committee members and, each one of the four of you have confirmed why you're on our committee. Um, what each of you specifically bring to the table for one, to help with our growth and two, the support. And um, I think each one of you has said, this is not the pinnacle of your work. And I'm like, I'm so glad because the four of you independently have said that and it's resonated. and you know, that's something that I can remind myself, like when I'm sitting in the, you know, screen little thing is blinking and I'm like, I can do this. I can write this. Um, and, you know, I think that's so important. Um, again, who you surround yourself with and the support system that you have. Um, your man being a woman and the imposter syndrome piece. I do a lot of work with academic leadership development on campus and then through some so because women are so well, we're we're trained basically, we're conditioned to behave a certain way in certain social situations. Um, you know, to be a little quieter sometimes or to have language that's a little more neutral or ambiguous or or to responsibilities without or compensation and so on. Academia is full of examples of all of that. And I get really good advice to tell women and to tell, you know, anyone who feels like academia may not play their identity burden or they're still wrestling with that, which of course can play into that imposter syndrome piece. Take Pick up your space, you know, use your body language to begin convincing yourself that you belong there. I know that sounds kind of like a strange thing, but we've actually worked on this with some groups of women is how to present yourself in a room so that you demonstrate power and you and you demonstrate sort of presence that we sometimes don't expect from women. And sometimes when you put forward that sort of body language, it helps you get into the mindset of projecting that and then enacting that in those spaces. So if you haven't practiced that, 
it can be a very effective sort of a way to test level and push yourself into that um, into that spot. I have to admit, this is one of those places where growing up on a farm, I learned skill early on because I was there wrestling with uh, 1,200 1800 pound bulls sometimes and you have to have a position of power and control or they know it and they will decide that they're the one in control so have ever run into an administrator or anybody else who could ever make me blink twice because I've had to stare down an 1800 bull before roping flipping him and giving him a shot or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. So we all have to find where that source of, of confidence can, can, and for whatever reason, that's one of mine. That's amazing. I need to work on my inner rounding up of able confidence. That's really awesome. Yeah, and the, um, it also reminded me, I don't know if anybody's watched the show Ted Lasso, but they they there's this one character who's like such a strong presence and she's the lead of their, she's the manager for the soccer team, the football team in the UK. And she gets asked, you know, like, how do you just like walk into the room? And she's like, she's explaining like to her, it's like a no brainer and you've got to assert yourself because if not, it's a boy's, club and they'll run right over you but it's interesting like how certain spaces um and I and I think too like education is such a female dominated space too it's a different it's a different kind of power play um and how I you know I've noticed um certain women in leadership um with their higher ups get seen as being too assertive and you know you're complaining all the time when really this person is just a type a person that needs their answers to be or their questions to be answered you know that's just matter of fact and um yeah it's interesting the dynamic of gender um and then add the layer of race on top of that the intersectionality of those power dynamics that can happen in a, in a leadership role um it's very interesting to watch and Kimberly, I'm glad you added in about Ted Lasso because I got so excited because we had to upgrade our Apple TV because we had like first or second gen Apple TV. And, you know, this thing popped up on because we watch college football like it's a religion here. Um, and, you know, I know Tracy's like one well, of those Tennessee fans probably, but Go balls. It's, <laughs> it's SEC, so it's okay. Like I'm a Gamecock fan too, but anyway. We got this awful message, like the worst message ever. Like if you do not upgrade your Apple TV, October something, I forgot when D-Day was, October something, you can no longer stream ESPN. Well, game over. Like we're upgrading Apple TV like immediately. So, you know, my husband's loving all the things. Like now he can turn on the Apple TV and it turns on the TV and, you know, he can do the sound and volume, whatever. But I got excited because I'm like, wait, we've got three months of free Apple TV shows. And I think Ted Lasso's on there. And Kimberly said to watch it. And now I can say I'm doing research work. I'm not goofing off because there's a powerful woman. So now it gives me an excuse to, I am researching Ted Lasso, which we should reference, by the way. Um, we are researching how to be confident women. So it is not that we are not writing and not doing the thing. But 
you know, and it is important to take those brain breaks, but this will be a brain break with research in mind. So I'm glad you said that because I was so excited this past week. Like I can watch the show Kimberly's watching um, because we're so similar. Like if she's watching something and recommends that, I'm like, I'm in. The only thing I don't think we do the same is Marvel. Like I don't read, like I, I don't, I like I'm, I'm a we have different. We have different nerd interests is what yeah. you're trying to yeah, I'm like a reality show. Like you give me a like juicy reality show, I'm in. But, you know, but I would say like from Marvel, like how they've depicted strong women, you know, through the years, it's like, you know, you can learn from there too. But, um, but anyway, I've gone off on like, hey, look at me. I've got Apple, you know, Apple TV and I'm gonna watch the show. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I want to have to name two strong women who get me fired up because I do think we have to have those models for us. One of those is Dolly Parton. I can watch Dolly Parton doing interviews, performing, whatever it might be. And she just has this quiet confidence while still being very feminine in her way and being very, you know, Appalachian in her way. And I love it. Need a oomph. Then I watched Beyonce's homecoming concert on my Apple TV because the way she walks across the stage is how I want to walk into meetings. <laughs> I love that you picked two that. strong women. Like, and Kimberly knows Dolly Parton has my heart. Like, it, she is my hero because she is just she's who she is she doesn't apologize for it she has her own style and you know just her history of who she is and what she brings and then and then the couple that with Beyonce's like confidence I'm like yes like yeah, I want both of those and both of those are women that lift other women up you know like I think I've heard Dolly Parton talk about how Whitney Houston did a really great job at uh, one of her songs, you know, and I think about Beyonce and how she's constantly finding young artists and giving them a platform and lifting them up. And I think that that's so important because especially in education, it can be this catty environment and it's the it's that individualistic sort of mentality we have in the United States of like trying to trying to one-up people because you're trying to climb your own ladder where I don't know the ladder doesn't seem very tall when it comes to K6 <laughs> roles you know like you can only go so far I don't know why you're trying to knock people down like listen I say I'd rather ride an elevator with a group of people because that's more fun <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think it's important for us to be reminded when we're doing our work, when we come into leadership spaces, um, because although I've been in education for 16 years, there are still times where I feel nervous and speaking in front of a group of people or having to assert myself in a way that I know is going to make people uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, may we all be a little bit of Dolly, a little bit of Beyonce tackling that bull exactly and now I'm thinking if I do not add Dolly Parton somewhere like I should probably add it my acknowledgments thank you Dolly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I, sure. I like I I mean for Christmas we get Dollywood season passes because I'm just all in like I love the music I love the 
I love going to visit, you know, the area and the mountains and all the things, Dolly. And yeah, I, one of my best friends lives in Noda here in Charlotte. And Mm -hmm. I was so excited when they did a Dolly mural, like beyond excited to the point where I was like, back and I was like take a picture of me like this is like the best one and I mean people were staring and I was just telling them about my love for Dolly and this the different things that she's done and the the inspiration especially like her imagination library um oh mm-hmm. like maybe we should invite Dolly on to our <laughs> Dolly and Beyonce if you're listening we'd love to have you on um <laughs> but you know just being that powerful woman and again why I didn't realize that feminist theory would line up to me. I have no idea because she's one of my, you know, who I look up to, but, um, but I know we're getting to the whatever mark. Cause I forgot to set my stopwatch, which that happens, <laughs> but, um, but I have to tell you, Tracy, I'm so excited to have you on and even more excited to have you part of our committee. Um, the, the wealth of knowledge you've already added and, you know, sharing with us, you know, this evening of, you know, your journey and um, just the things you've seen. Like I, I am, I think I'm speaking for Kimberly too again, but we're just so thankful that you decided to jump aboard this journey with us because we do realize that um, doing a co-dissertation is a little different. And, um, you know, it, it could have been one of those things where you're like, yeah, that's different. We're, you know, we're not doing it, but another thread that's pulled through is every person of our committee has been one like, yeah, let's push it. Let's, let's challenge. Why is this the way it is? And if it is, should it be? Um, so I just want to say thank you, um, for joining us and being a part of our process. And that'll conclude our episode 11. Unless Tracy, is there anything you wanted to add? I just want to say thank you, not only for inviting me to participate tonight, but for being a part of your journey. And I'm looking forward to just all the way up to working with you as you continue to develop and and find your voice in education. So thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you for those of you tuning in. And we'll see you next time.